Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the More Jody podcast. I'm the girl who says what everyone is thinking, unapologetically myself all the time. Trust me, I was born this way and it really can't be stopped. This season, I'm sharing powerful conversations and we go deep right off the hop. Sometimes I'm even thrown off by it. Nothing is off the table. The goal of this podcast is that you will laugh, cry, and realize that you're not alone in your struggles, your challenges, your hopes, your dreams. But I have a warning for you. These conversations will make you want to do more, dig deeper, get honest and curious with yourself and live braver, bolder lives. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Hey everybody, today I have Sarah Jane Smith on the podcast and I'm very excited about this conversation. Sarah Jane is a true West Coast girl and her island vibe is very strong. She's a veteran yoga teacher, dog lover, gardener, hiker, and she's here to tell her story of infertility. She's learned that practicing self-compassion and being open and vulnerable with where she's at is healing her. And now she is taking the journey that she had and helping others. Sarah Jane is sharing her learning as a way to help women go through the grief of infertility and the mind and body practices that have gone along with that. This conversation will challenge what you thought you knew about this topic, and it will help you stand by those you love who are struggling with grief and loss. Thanks so much for tuning in. Sarah Jane Smith, welcome to the More Jody podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm well, thanks. A little Sarah Jane with my morning coffee and my, I'm not, I'm not wearing a bra. I'm just going to give full transparency Saturday morning. I know everyone's listening to this on a Wednesday, but it is a summer Saturday morning on Vancouver Island. And Sarah, where are you speaking to us from? Yeah, I live on Salt Spring Island and the west coast of British Columbia. Do you feel like everyone hears that and is like, what? That's where really rich and celebrities live, <laughs> right? That's funny. Yeah, I think the more and more it's having that uh, sort of connotation in, in people's minds, but it is definitely a very uh, dreamy place to live. And I feel very privileged uh, to be able to call this place my home. It is an absolute gift. So we became friends on Instagram probably like six months ago. Mm-hmm. Is that probably how long it is? And I've been following you. You were on my, we have a mutual friend, Richie Jackson, and he has a podcast and we've both been guests on his. And so, yeah, it's been really cool. You're a very, like a very chill lady. You sound a little bit like Nicole Kidman. There's like a Nicole Kidman vibe to you. I have to say, have you ever been told that? You know, it's quite funny. I've never been told that I sound like Nicole Kidman, but I've been told that I look like her. And so maybe that, maybe it's the two... Maybe it's the two together that I'm like, there's a very like Nicole Kidman vibe here, which is pretty cool, which but is pretty I cool. I don't think that I look like Nicole Kidman. If anyone's going to, after you say that, so people are going to start Googling me and then be like, <laughs> well, I'm always like, don't tell someone they're wrong. If they give you a compliment like that, you're like, I am what I am. You, you can think whoever I look like that's famous and fancy. Um, but no, so we've been kind of in touch for a while now here and following each other's journeys. And I love to connect with more Island people because I'm, I've only been here for two years and now I actually manage an office on Pender Island, which is, I haven't been to Salt Spring, but I've now been to Pender. So I'm like making my way through all these little islands and they are dreamy. That's a really good way to explain them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very dreamy. So why don't you take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about you and your journey and kind of what brings us to talk today? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, start way back at the beginning. Like I was born in 1975. There you go. Uh, there we go. Yeah. So I was actually, I was born in Canada, but my parents are British. And when I was six months old, they moved back to England. So I actually grew up in England until I was 13 years old. And then we moved back to Canada. And so I went to high school in White Rock. So maybe that's sort of uh, my voice is kind of sort of like a quasi English, yeah. quasi Canadian accent kind of thing. Um, yeah, I lived in Nanaimo for quite a while, and that's how we know our mutual friend Richie, right? Because you're in Nanaimo, yeah. right? Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. And so I went to uh, university in Nanaimo to study music, and while I was there, I got interested in yoga. And it was just right around the time that yoga was kind of moving out of um, like rec centers and community halls and more yoga studios were sort of popping up. Um, That's relatively a new development, sort of like the yoga studio model. So that was happening around that time. So that must have been about 15, 18 years ago. Okay. And a studio opened in Nanaimo. Uh, at that time it was called Moksha Yoga Nanaimo. Oh yes. Um, since then they've changed uh, to Moto Yoga. Yeah. So same place, different name. And as the university was ending and I didn't really know what to do with myself with a Bachelor of Jazz Studies, which doesn't yeah. have a very specific <laughs> totally. sort of next step in terms of what you do with that education. Um, I was taking a, a bit of a break, figuring out what I was going to do next and started going to this yoga studio and it was hot yoga. And right. at first I'd only ever done you know, cold yoga before, yeah. uh, but I'd heard all about hot yoga and, and uh, sort of the buzz around it. So I thought I'd try it. And because I'd been doing yoga in community centers and places like that there also wasn't the culture of like the yoga clothing you know right, so it wasn't like right. the tights and the all the stuff that you sort of really see nowadays or that people equate with doing yoga that wasn't really that available so I just wore my sort of like regular yoga clothes to this hot yoga class well and I have to say do you remember Russell Shorts back in the nineties, like I wore Russell shorts and a tank top to yoga. And when I think about it now, I went to Bikram in Edmonton and it was the first hot yoga. And when you, when I picture that now, I'm like, that's hilarious. It was like 40 degrees. Half of us were in like sweatpants. You're, you're doing a downward bending, whatever. And you're basically showing your crotch. Like there's so, that's so funny. I never thought about that. And then your legs slip off each other. Cause you're so sweaty. I never even thought about that, but you're right. There was a time before we had athletic wear for yoga. Oh, that's really funny. God bless my Russell shorts. Yeah. And I'd like to say that there is a revival of that sort of and a little bit of a pushback from the need to be, you know, wearing the prescribed definitely yoga clothing and the hundred dollar yoga pants, like that kind of stuff. It's totally these new kids now are like hoodies and old sweats and yeah, they're going to revolutionize it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although I feel like now my bits would fall out. (laughs) 
like I feel like I need yoga gear because it's like it like sucks me into all my but maybe when you're 20 you don't need that you, they can wear their sweats and their loose tanks and stuff you just need a, I find I need a good high bra yes and then you know then the other stuff kind of you know you can just wear a t-shirt or you can yeah. wear sweats or whatever yeah. but not necessarily to hot yoga no, I ran in a pair of shorts that were um, not very stretchy um, and it wasn't very comfortable <laughs> at all in this hot yoga class. And I also didn't like the heat. I was like, what? Why do people do this? What's going on? Yeah. Like, this is not, this is not for me. But I had bought like a $20 week unlimited pass nice. and being a student I was like $20 like I'm gonna get the most out of my like $20 so I went back in that same week twice more even though my first experience I was like I I don't need to experience that again by the third time I was like okay I get it like I had um I shifted what I was wearing and I was sort of more prepared for the heat yeah I was more hydrated and I got sort of past the initial discomfort and found that there was an incredible amount of focus and concentration that could be accessed when you put your body in that sort of stressful environment. And so I was, I was kind of hooked. So I uh, started a regular practice um, along with my other sort of cold yoga practice at home. Right. And really sort of fell in love with the community and decided that I was going to do their teacher training. So in 2010, I went to Montreal and did their, um, it's actually a 500 hour training. It's their initial training. And so you do a one month intensive and then you do 11 months of uh, distance learning projects and you're teamed up with a, like a peer supervisor that helps you do all these projects as well as um, a lot of practice teaching. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's how you get the 500 hours. And when I came back from that training, Moksha Yoga had just opened their second studio uh, at Rutherford. Yep. And they needed teachers. So I was asked, I was very lucky to be asked by the owner to start teaching. And it was like, full-time teaching, like 15 classes a week, like wow. boom, go. So I, it's sort of like all of the things were aligned to yeah. make that happen. So I got an, the incredible opportunity to become a full-time yoga teacher because that doesn't often no. happen, you know? Uh, so I, I worked there for nine years. I wasn't like full time for that whole time. Right. Um, but so through that, got a really great opportunity to get a lot of classes under my belt right off the bat, meet a lot of people, sort of keep growing my, my teaching skills uh, in that way. So that's kind of how I became a yoga teacher. And so the backdrop to all of that was also, I had met my um, husband. I was going to say current husband, which, which made it sound like, I was going to make it sound like I'd had previous and like I was hoping to so have many. more. That's not, that's not the case. <laughs> my husband, my one and only. Um, and what year was that that you guys got together? 
Well, we met also in 2010. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a good year for me. Very good. Yeah. And so it was a few years after that, we were trying to get pregnant. And it wasn't happening for a while. And then it did happen. But I had a miscarriage. And then, so it's not uncommon. You read right. the statistics. It's sort of like two out of every three women have had a miscarriage. So I was like, okay. What, it was devastating. Totally. Um, but, you know, okay, let's try again. And you know, sort of then I, I started to get, you know, testing done about you know, around hormone levels and thyroid and sort of looking at all these things that might have contributed to it. Right. Um, I did, did, was discovered that I do have a low thyroid. So that has been addressed, but then there was nothing else that was sort of like glaringly obvious. So right. everyone was like, oh, well, let's try again. You know, it happens. And there wasn't much, uh, empathy on the, the part of uh, healthcare professionals. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, this is common, just get back out there kind of thing, which was disturbing. Yeah. Just because something's common doesn't mean that it doesn't require empathy and understanding and, and that women don't need support around it, you know? Yeah, even that it's just, it's just almost brazen. Like, oh yeah, sure. just keep having sex. <laughs> You're like, oh. Yeah, that is hard. That mm -hmm. is hard. Mm -hmm. So we did keep trying and nothing happened for a really long time. And then I got pregnant again. And I had another miscarriage. So then same kind of thing. You know, it's not it's not uncommon, you know, and it's and hearing all kinds of stories like, oh, I know someone who has had six miscarriages and now has three children or you know, right. I, all these sort of like examples of, well, other people had success, therefore you should have success and you shouldn't worry about it kind well, of messaging. And, and in that, like, because I want people to learn from hearing this conversation, what not to say? Are those things not to say? Like just in those moments, would it be like, just be there with me, but don't tell me about the cousin you had who has a sister who knows a girl who, you know, had eight miscarriages and then had 10 kids. Yeah, no, that's not helpful. But I know that people often come from a place of uh, feeling like sharing other people's stories is supportive, but mm -hmm. it as the person receiving that and having, um, not being able to, you know, do something, meaning like get or sustain a pregnancy and have a live child. Like that kind of thing is like as a, as a given, like most of us, when we're young, if we want to have children, assume that we will just be able to have them. Totally. That it's not something that is going to be difficult or that is going to be um, a way longer road than, than we imagine. And so hearing that so many other people have been successful is doesn't bring hope. It actually made me feel more shame. Like, well, oh. everybody else is doing it. So yeah. how come I can't do it? How come my body doesn't work how it's supposed to work? Yeah, totally. Yeah. The shame around that. And then the shame around, because um, even the shame causes more stress. 
it, like in your physical body, right? Like sure. that, that causes so much more um, tension and yeah, that's really hard, but good for us to know, you know, that that's Absolutely. not helpful. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, just like anybody who's going through anything hard, they, they don't want to hear your solutions because oftentimes like if they have thought of those things before, you know, like, oh, why don't you try this? Or why don't you do this? So, so it's not, it's not very helpful. Um, so just letting people know that, that you're there and that what you're hearing is that they're going through a hard time and yeah. sort of showing up and doing everyday regular life things yeah. with those people, not sort of like, oh, well, they need time, they're, they're grieving, so I'm just going to leave them alone. Yeah. I know that that's often kind of a response when others are having a hard time, like we are so concerned about saying the wrong thing or yeah. like imposing ourselves on others. But, you know, if you're good enough friends with somebody that they're going to let you know that they've had a devastating experience, like in my, in my case, a, a second miscarriage, then you're, you're probably good enough friends with them that, that you don't need to leave them alone, that you're, yeah. that you're not going to be imposing on them by, you know, saying, hey, I want to come over, let's watch a movie, or I want to bring you some food, or, yep. you know, just so there's every, everyday ways that we can show up. There's no need to do grand gestures. That's a really good point, though, that if you are a person who has been told this by someone they obviously feel a level of safety with you to say that. And then just to be there, just mm -hmm. be there. Mm -hmm. And often just without words, don't bring your words, just bring chips and wine, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like the things that really matter. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. That's great. Just bring chips. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> So what year would that have been? So that, ooh, it all gets a bit fuzzy. You know, I'm, I'm good with like big milestone years, but the past uh, 10, 12 years of exact like dates is a little bit fuzzy. Right. So I would say maybe 2016. Okay. 2017. Well, and then there's that moment of like, okay, so I, my body can, it's like starting the car, like the ignition switch, I can hit the ignition. And that I feel like would be a whole level of trauma. Yeah. Well, all it, no matter what the situation, you know, so there's lots of uh, folks who aren't, e aren't even able to get pregnant once, let alone yeah. twice. And it is kind of, you know, you get that, oh, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. That was something that the doctor sort of said a lot, even though they didn't really right. um, have any explanation as to why I wasn't able to sustain the pregnancy. Right. And so after the second miscarriage, there was a lot more tests, you know, there was all these ultrasounds, you know, both internal and external. I don't know if you've ever had an internal ultrasound, but it's not very much. I fun. haven't, but that yeah. sounds. Don't like put it on your to-do list. No. <laughs> and uh, tests where they um, check to see if your fallopian tubes are, are free of blockages and okay. 
all these kinds of things, which I'm glad they exist because hopefully if the, my test came back that there was no blockages, but hopefully for, for some women, if they find out that that's the reason that they're unable to either get pregnant or sustain a pregnancy, that then there's something to be done about it. That's great. You know, but for me, the, all of these tests kind of came back with like, oh, well, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So that was, um, the sort of like big state of limbo. Just, just keep trying, just which is not very helpful and not very hopeful either. I honestly feel like I've been talking to people lately about, um, I had a, a few different friends navigate an autoimmune disease and just how I feel like one of the worst things is when they're like, I don't know. Cause and, and, I mean, obviously they're not all knowing, like they're not God, they're doctors and stuff, but it is like, we put a level of expectation for sure that it's gotta be a classic case of something like right. give, give me that answer. And I think even my biggest fear, I feel like these days is ending up with something that doesn't have an answer. And then just being like, well, my arms are tingling and my left leg doesn't work. And like, you know, what's, there's gotta be something. And then having to like Google everything or advocate for yourself so hard, you know, I think is, yeah, we just so badly being without an answer. Not, not that, that you feel better if you know what's wrong. I don't know. Like it's a, maybe there's no good, good way to feel right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting place to be and it comes with its own grief its own loss you know there's this term um ambiguous grief that you know when we think of grief and loss it's like well we, you have to have lost something tangible but oh. that's not the way that the human emotions work right you can right you can feel grief or feel loss for something that you hoped would happen but then would that didn't ever happen yeah and so being in this sort of constant state of, you know, trying to get pregnant and quote unquote failing, yeah. it had it uh, just this constant cycle of loss every time, every month where I would have my period, it was like another, you know, waving flag of like, okay, not, not this time, not this time. And it was pretty hard to to remain positive and to think that it was going to happen, you know? Yeah. And so throughout all of this time, not only was I teaching yoga, but I had my own yoga practice. And the, that that looks all kinds of ways. So it can, it was um, physical yoga practice, you know, it's like asana, like you would practice when you go to, to a class, um, meditation, breath work. And then also I also discovered um, journaling with prompts. And so while typically not um, thought of as a, a yoga practice, it really does sort of fit into the self-awareness piece of a sort of a holistic yoga practice. So that those, I didn't always do all of those things all at the, you know, not every right. day kind of right. thing. But it's like, sometimes I would go through a period of doing the physical practice. And then other times when I was just not feeling like moving or just not wanting to, sometimes connecting with your body when it's not doing what you want it to do can actually be a painful experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, it's like so working through resentment 
almost. It can be for sure. There can be so many feelings stored in there. And so then at those times, sort of guided meditation or journaling was uh, sort of what I, what I turned to to help sort of process and understand what, what was going on and what I felt about it. You know, I didn't necessarily give me answers, didn't, didn't make me fertile. Um, right. you know, and that wasn't the, that wasn't the aim. Like I wasn't doing yoga practice and mindset work to become more fertile. Yeah. Um, it was to, uh, to deal with the, the physical sensations, the mental, emotional uh, mess. That well, and imagine, happening. imagine for a second that you didn't have that. Like that's a hard thought, I bet. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I'm so thankful to have spent so much time cultivating these practices for myself that give me a place to practice being with myself. Yeah, which you I know, think so many people run from that. Sure. And, and even yeah. the, the grace in how, um, the grace in how you knew some days that you couldn't do certain parts, right? Like I have a prayer journal where I write prayers out to God and some days it's like, I can't write in that. And then some days it's like walking in the woods, talking about like angrily talking. And then some days it's like lovingly writing. And then some days it's, it's different, but I think the grace in not holding yourself that day to be like, I'm going to do these five things. Right. But to be like, yeah, today it hurts too much to do X, or I'm going to do more of this. And I, I see, I, I hear you. And I just, I feel the calming from knowing what you were doing for yourself. Like I can just sense that. Um, But I think of those people who don't have a way to express, you know, everything. Cause even, even what I can think of is when, when you're trying to conceive, there's two of you, Mm. it's not just you and the stress it's what does he feel? How does Mm -hmm. he feel like he's not a man or he can't do this thing or he's, it makes me want to cry or he's really concerned because he loves you to death and he just Mm -hmm. wants you to, you know, have that thing that you dream of. And, and there's so many facets. And I think too often we pass stuff off as like, just don't want to think about it, turn up the radio or whatever. And so I think it's, I think it's just, I just want to take a moment for people to think about what they have in their life as a practice for their own daily life, because as much as it hurts, it's important to feel the hurt and to be in it and to give yourself grace every day as it looks different. Right. So that practice is phenomenal. I just don't want to brush by that work you were doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for elaborating on that. But I think also yoga in our culture is, is seen mainly as a form of exercise and it is a great form of exercise. And it also offers this whole other realm of uh, sort of self-knowing and and self-reflection that can get passed over Mm -hmm. because as you said, we're kind of a culture of just turning up the volume so we can't hear ourselves and like going on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's always like, what's next? What's next? There's not a lot of value placed on on sort of being right where you are and being okay with that, okay in air quotes. I know nobody yep. can see me, but uh, 
And that's nuanced as well. You know, you can be okay with where something is at at this moment. It doesn't mean that in the big picture that you're okay, you know? Totally. And I think that it's, uh, it is a really important uh, way of self-acceptance, accepting what's yeah. going on and how you are, who you are in these different moments. It's always like speeding ahead, trying to do the next big thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that led you to, like, did you just come to a point where you're like, I'm not going to try anymore? No, the, the plot thickens. <laughs> so after all of that, what they call unexplained infertility, um, I was having a lot of pain in, during my periods and having it, excessive blood flow and so I started to have all these other tests and they found that I have fibroids which is do you know what fibroids are I do but you can tell the listeners because yeah so they're uh they're growths they're non-cancerous growths and they can be in many different places within uh the uterus it can be actually in the uterine cavity itself can be in the uterine wall so sort of like in between it could even be outside um and there are these cells that don't kind of have like an off switch so they just will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and they can get really quite large and so I um, ended up having to have a hysterectomy because the fibroid that I had was uh, seven pounds. Oh, wow. It was massive. Um, and so that was kind of the end. That was like the full stop. Like, okay, now having children is not possible all and that was frankly kind of a relief you know after 10 years of this sort of up and down more down than up of like trying getting pregnant miscarriages appointments months of just sort of like not knowing trying was feeling all of this grief all of this guilt and shame it was, it was kind of done. Yeah. You know, it was done with all of that. And I was, I was in a lot of pain the, the years, the couple of years leading up to having the surgery because the surgery wasn't offered as the first uh, intervention. So I could go on this medication that um, in some cases helps to shrink the fibroid but it puts you into, um, into menopause. So when you're taking this medication, you can't get pregnant. So it's like, you're like, why shrink them? If I don't like, if I'm not going to get pregnant anyway. Yeah. So they do actually shrink in menopause. So at that time I got, so I had the surgery in 2018. So that would have been 2016. So they were like, well, you know, your mid thirties, your chances of having, you're at 35, your um, fertility, like 
just sort of like drops off a cliff anyway. So they were like, your chances of, you know, getting pregnant are kind and because of your history is kind of nil. Right. So, you know, you could be go into early menopause to avoid the surgery and. Oh, I see. All that kind of thing. Um, so I took the medication. I didn't take the medication. And I was like, no, I'm not going to take it. And we'll just sort of like live with it, see how it goes. Um, but then it got to a point where it was just too uncomfortable. Uh, the blood loss was kind of horrific. And, uh, and because it was a, a very large growth in my uterus, I looked like I was about four or five months pregnant. Which is like so heartbreaking for someone who like wants to be pregnant. Like because that's a can, whole level of pain. And you can bet at endless times endless occasions where people ask me oh how far along are you or oh it's so great that you're finally pregnant like random people in the grocery store or like oh Sarah Jane I'm sorry were you on salt spring then yeah yeah and then everyone knows you for the most part is it like that it's a community of 10,000 people so it's okay but they're still uh you know you go, I'm going to go into town. I see a few people that I know every, every time. Um, yeah, so it was a very painful experience. So just another PSA. Don't ask women about ever, 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 pregnant, ever, whether they are or not. No. Again, going back to if you're good enough friends with them, they will tell you. Otherwise, yeah. do not inquire. Yeah. Because there can 100%. be so many reasons why somebody doesn't, if even if they are pregnant, doesn't yeah. want to talk about it to you in the grocery store. And like um, educate your kids and your the men in your life. Because I think um, so often like teaching them that that's not an appropriate question. Like we don't, um, even sometimes I have like other people in my life that I'm like, we don't comment on people's bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't make comments because even, even the comment of like, oh, you look so thin, you look so good. A person who, even if they've lost weight might be like, so I looked gross before. Right. So it's just, it's, uh, it's inappropriate to comment on someone's body. And then it's my job as a mom to, and I'm going to, I haven't told my kids that, but this is a perfect moment where I'm like, going to say, do not bring, do not comment on, you know, asking a lady if she's expecting or whatever. And but it, that's a good thing. I just thought of that. Like, I haven't told my kids that, but I'm going to tell them that after this conversation, because yeah, that sort of stuff really, really hurts. Mm. And we shouldn't comment on people's bodies at all. They don't need a comment. Yeah. Mm. Not at all. No. Well, thank you for doing that with the, the folks in your life. Much yeah. appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2018, I did decide that, well, the surgery was probably the the best way to go because it wasn't the the fibroid wasn't slowing down in its growth the pain was was getting to be too much and just sort of yeah so I decided to do that um so I went to we have a great women's hospital in Vancouver so I went there and I I actually was booked in for the surgery and I went in and uh they started the surgery I was going to maybe get a bit graphic where they sort of made the incision and uh, realized that 
they needed more people like it was too complicated for just the one surgeon there she needed backup oh, wow. and they needed um this uh it's a blood cleaning machine so they where they give you a blood transfusion with your own okay. blood super cool i didn't that know that cool. existed before um because it was too risky to to do it without those other things in place well if you think about it for a second it's almost like a cesarean where they take it all like do you know what i mean because my kids were how my kids were bigger but there's lots of babies that are like five pounds mm-hmm. so really it's like taking out a uterus that's fully got a baby in it mm-hmm. that is like when you actually think about it because that's crazy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fibroids are um they they're really quite dense with blood and okay. so it can uh, a lot of blood loss can occur just like um, when having a baby. Right, right. So they sort of put everything back in, stapled it all up. Oh. Sent me home. Like they uh, didn't take anything out? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought they were going to be like, I'm calling someone from home. They're coming in right now, even though you're open. Oh my gosh, that's awful. I know I'm laughing now, but I wasn't laughing then. Um so then I went on this medication that they had uh, to shrink the fibroid that they had uh, suggested a few years previous. And it gave me a whole new level of uh, respect and understanding for women in menopause because it put me into menopause like within like three days. And wow, I am not looking forward to <laughs> that time in my life. This is a preview of hell. Oh, just this, the, um, the fluctuating temperature, like the hot and the cold alone was just so overwhelming to deal with. Like one minute you'd be like so hot, you'd be like, like sweating, like you've just done like a 90 minute hot yoga class and you're like in the grocery store, you know, or in the bank oh. and you're just like, just dripping. And then, then you'd go really cold because you're like soaking wet oh, and you'd just be out awful. in the bathroom. Yeah. So big respects to any woman who's navigating that and just getting on with uh, daily life. Yeah. So I was on that medication for three months and then went back and actually had the surgery. And uh, it's finally was successful in taking, taking everything they needed to take. And they didn't have to take my ovaries, which is why I'm not in menopause, which is why I have that to, to oh, look forward okay. to. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of time in that recovery. You know, they uh, say it's like six to eight weeks. Right. I think I took three months off work. I was like, I'm, I'm doing this up. You know, I have for the past 10 years just struggled on with everything. You know, after all of the, the medical procedures and the miscarriages and just going, 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 like keep going with my work, keep going with my other commitments and, you know, being self-employed, you don't really have like, there's no breaks. There's no break. Yeah. But this time I was like, well, this is it. I'm, I'm never going to get maternity leave. I'm never taking time off to, you know, do whatever people do with, with kids. Yeah. True. So true. I'm going to take this time and, um, I did at the time and still have a really supportive group of friends and 
So I actually wrote them an, an email, like sort of like a group email saying like, this is what I'm going through. This is what I need. This is what you. I don't need. And this is how you can show up for me, you know, whether it's like a phone call or a letter in the mail, or if you live near me, maybe you can come visit me. Or if you're yeah. inclined, you can maybe bring me some food or sweep my kitchen floor. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I love that you did that because just for a second to stop, like classic women, I would say are like, don't ask for help and then are resentful if people don't help. Mm -hmm. And that is like just something for a moment to say like, well done. And, and like, there's nothing, people want to love you and they want to love you in the way that you need to be loved. But for some reason, and I think it's like built into like our ancestry that women are self-sufficient. We don't ask for help. Uh, Yesterday, this is actually a super funny example. This lady I was talking to, she was a single mom raising two kids and she said down the street and you know struggling with everything that goes with that she was a a self-employed realtor you know and she had to she had to make money for the kids to go to dance or to do all the things and then she said down the street a man his wife left him and she gets all the women they come to the door and they're like we're gonna all get together and we're gonna make him casseroles and we're gonna do all these things and she's like why did no one do that for me like but now he does it and we're all like, oh, poor guy when a woman is just so there's very much a level of like, we've always just pushed through. We don't ask for help. We are self-sufficient. We, you know, and yet at the same time, I'm like, good for you for saying this is what I need. Because a lot of times I think people often will even lose close friendships because the person doesn't communicate and then the other person's sad. And then it just creates this weird awkwardness where I think just being clear about what you need from your people, like they want to love you and assuming they want to love you and go through this with you. So that is super Mm -hmm. smart. That's really cool. More women need to do that when they're having something happen. Totally. And giving, and it sort of gives people an opportunity to feel really safe in, in offering something, you know, because yes. often in, you know, we might not kind of, we touched on this earlier, we might not know what to say or like, oh, maybe I don't want to bother them or that kind of thing. But I mean, we all, I think we all know what we need and want when it's, yeah. when times are tough and I think it's up to us to normalize asking yes other yeah. people because so maybe in me asking those friends maybe they've well I know that they have turned around and asked of me in their time of yeah. need as well so it actually it just improves the friendship it just makes it easier for to care for each other it builds vulnerability and trust right? Because they trust. And yeah, I think that's so smart. I'm going to do that. I I don't even know if I do that, but I'm going to do that going forward because I think that's just brilliant. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I took that time and I'm, I'm great. I'm great now. My body has never felt so good. good. I, there was, I mean, of course there was sadness. I mean, like glossing over um, the sort of what, what it led, what I went through to lead up to the now, like feeling okay in my body. Yeah. Um, and but because of all of the, the, the procedures and the, 
the surgeries and the painful periods and the looking like I was pregnant and people asking about it. I was, it was, it was time for me for that to be over. Yeah. So having the surgery really put sort of like a specific end date yeah. on it, so that then I could start to move forwards. Um, so I feel actually very grateful for that. So had that not happened, I would imagine myself in this state of, you know, still having periods and maybe still trying to get pregnant and sort of like this, this still hoping. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even as you just get older and older and older. So I kind of feel like that I was, I was fortunate to have this end date. And so then could from there really um, take the next steps to towards like, okay, well, my life doesn't look like how I thought it was going to look. So what can it be like? And I'm still very much in the middle. I'm still maybe very much even in the beginning of uh, what that is like. That was only, that was in 2018 that I had the surgery. So, but, you know, in integral to those first steps in the, on the new path of what my life could like, could be like, my yoga practice has come with me. That's been sort of like the common thread throughout the whole thing. And realizing that having this practice really did help me come to terms with where I am at now. So I'm not saying that I never feel sad or that I don't still have this sense of grief and loss. I absolutely do. But my practice gives me a place to sort of be with those things as they are today. Well, someone said to me once that your your grief doesn't go away. Your life grows around it. Mm, so it grows, a, it, you grow a big, beautiful life around it. And I always say the best people have the toughest stories because there's that, it creates that sense of, um, I don't know, maybe just like what's real mm. and what's, I don't know. I don't have words. I can't think of the word for it now where, um, almost like mortal, like we're so mortal and it creates that thankfulness. It creates, um, a, a tenderness in you. Uh, you've learned so much, you've felt so much, you've grown so much. And that just makes people, we're meant to go through hard things and then, and then use those hard things, I think, to love and care for other people and to encourage other people. Um, can you tell me about the prevalence of childlessness and the invisibility that can come from that? Yeah. Yeah. So the statistics of childlessness are, are pretty shocking. So like it's around like one in five women in the UK, the US and Canada are reaching their mid forties without having had children. And in countries such as in Ireland, um, the stats are one in four. And in Japan and Australia, they're one in three. What's a really high percentage of women that don't have children. And so of of those women that don't have children, a few years ago, there was um, a meta-analysis done by a Dutch scientist and his findings were that 10% 10% of those people are have chosen not to have children. Right. And 10% are childless for medical reasons. But then there's 80% of those 
folks that are childless by circumstance. So okay. that can mean lots of things, right? So it could mean like you never found somebody to have children with, or that maybe you are partnered and the person, the other person decided that they didn't want to have children initially. Um, a lot of the times now in our, in our society, it's that you know, women have waited uh, right. a long time to have children because they're trying to work in this sort of model of uh, a career path. Totally. Follows the pattern of male fertility, you know, like where you're in your, your early 20s, you go to university in your 30s, you work really hard to build your career. And then coming to you know, mid to late 30s, now is the time to settle down and have kids. But that doesn't follow the female uh, fertility patterns. You know, at 35, totally. your chances of um, having a baby drop off dramatically. Yeah. So it's sort of like this childless by circumstance can mean many different things. But I would say that lots of us don't really think much about childless women and uh, sort of who they are. So we're sort of a large percentage of the population, but we're kind of hiding in plain sight. Right. Mm -hmm. And it has lots of um, implications. There's a recent Canadian study, it was through the 2016 census, and it sort of showed the the household types in Canada and sort of like the makeup of the quote unquote Canadian family. Right. And it showed that there are more people living alone than there are couples that are with or without children. So 28% of households in, in Canada have one person in them. And then 26% are couples with children, but then another 26% are couples without children. Uh, and 9% are single parent households. But when you think about the people in your life, how many single childless women do you really know? If I think about my life, I only really have one person. And mm -hmm. then even though I talk to her a lot about people always imposing, like for years and years, like I'm 39, but for years and years, people would be like, when are you doing this? What are you doing? And I made a thing in my twenties. I was like, I'm never asking a woman that. Right. But so many people think your private life is their business. Mm -hmm. It's such, we've normalized asking people about their, all their next steps, mm -hmm. but we need to not because you're right. I have like very few people. Mm -hmm. And that's not because they don't exist, but it's sort of, it's actually can be tricky to be a, a childless single person or even a, a yeah, childless single person and be in with like a group of families, you know, and family uh, in, in my mind doesn't necessarily have to have children. A family can be two people. Like in a totally. Couple, that's a family for many different reasons. You know, oftentimes like the schedules don't fit together or just, uh, you know, having kids comes with a whole, a whole lot of other your time is, is taken up in different ways and it can kind of be isolating to be be the one who doesn't have have the kids because oftentimes even my friends who have kids they don't really want to 
talk with me about their kids or the struggles that they're having I think because they feel kind of awkward like they know my story like they're just like oh I don't want to go down this path with you but also there's this kind of sense like well you wouldn't understand because you don't have kids kind of thing and I don't think it's intentional um that I'm there I don't think they're withholding that kind of closeness on purpose I think it's more around just sort of like this unknown feeling uncomfortable they're not sure if I if it's going to hurt my feelings you know that kind of thing well and does how much does that hurt you that they would avoid it yeah it is hurtful because I mean obviously the children are a huge part of their their life well and it's funny because like if you didn't have a garden but I had a garden and we're out for coffee as we go to yoga and we're going to go for breakfast after I would tell you all those things that you don't know. Like I'm going to have a different story. I wouldn't ever not tell you mm-hmm. in a friendship. And so that's like a, an interesting thing to be like, that's, we, we can't hold back our lives. Mm-hmm. If we're doing life with our best friends, we do all the parts. Mm-hmm. And I think the people that don't share and aren't vulnerable don't have deep friendships. They're going to miss out. And so I think it's remembering if someone values their friendship with this person they have to share all the parts they would normally over mimosas and pancakes, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what a friendship is. Mm-hmm. And the people that I, that I know that I'm like, yeah, I don't, just don't really connect with them. It's because they don't share. Right. So don't yeah. hold back from your friends just because that's worse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And even having the awkward conversations of like, how do you feel when I share yeah. about my kids? Are you okay with it? Yeah, Yeah. totally. And if you come to an agreement where somebody might be like, actually, no, I'm not, I don't want to hear about that. And if that's okay with both people, then you've had that conversation, you've established that boundary and and there you go. So it's not about, um, you know, one size fits all. It's about having, having those conversations, having the, the closeness and the trust, uh, with yourself and with, with your people to be able to establish that. Absolutely. How have you learned to love, honor, and really cherish your body? Mm. Right. Because there's that rejection period. I mean, we all have reasons we reject our body. And then you have those moments where you like what our bodies give us and what they don't give us and how much we disrespect our bodies in general as women Mm -hmm. and thinking about how everybody is so beautiful and so valuable and carries our life, our soul, you know? So what have you learned about loving and honoring um, and cherishing your body? Mm -hmm. Well, my yoga practice has been huge in that, especially the movement Mm -hmm. piece of it, you know, sort of like, and actually feeling like, what does my body feel like? Like, what does it feel like to lift my leg? And what does it feel like to be in these different shapes? And then what, noticing the the sort of like almost mindless narrative that is sort of like going in in the back of our minds uh, the back of my mind um about like you know maybe i can't do something that i used to do say in like a yoga pose that when i was doing a lot more physical practice maybe i can't do it now and if i try there's going to be some level of like like oh i I can't do it anymore and uh and sort of feelings of you know like oh well i should work harder or i should have kept up the practice so noticing that narrative and noticing the 
sort of often unconscious tape loop of the thing yeah. that, that I'm saying to myself uh, has been huge, even in sort of recognizing how do I even feel about my body? And it changes all the time. Um, in terms of being childless, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey, you know, sort of meeting myself where I'm at each day. Mm -hmm. And um, but really using the practice as a as a foundation to to feel what I feel and to appreciate like having that appreciation of like okay my body couldn't do this this one thing but I can do so many other things totally yeah and to just to just love yourself you know through that how do you face a day like mother's day mm, yeah mother's day is a really tough day um and in a this past mother's day was in some ways, the best Mother's Day and the worst Mother's Day that I've ever had. Um, so using my personal experience of, of this like yoga, meditation, breathwork, journaling, um, my experience with that coupled with my childlessness, I've started to offer um, those teachings to other childless women. And a big part of my personal practice is self-compassion right and on a day like mother's day a self-compassion practice is key and so i off, um, offered this past mother's day a free um live guided meditation for any woman who was childless not by choice for any reason to join and that's a really that cool was the so when i'm leading the practice I'm also really embodying the practice as well, you know, so um, I'm getting as much out of it as I'm, as I'm giving to others. So I started the day like that uh, and was um, feel very grateful for the, the women that showed up to be able to receive and then sort of then give back to me in that they showed up. And I went on to have a, uh, a day that was, that was good. I went out hiking, but then we found out after the next day that my father had died suddenly. So it was a just horrendous. horrendous. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So going forward, that's always going to be the case, right? Oh yeah. It's Mother's Day and. Yeah. That's awful. And who day. knows, maybe that will become the focus, yeah. and, you know, and being with your mom or something right mm -hmm. around that. And there's so much, and I never like to focus. It's hard to focus on it. Cause I think it's a fine line, but I titled this episode, um, beauty after pain. Mm -hmm. And I, and I thought after that, I'm like, Oh, is that insensitive? And then I thought, no, like, you're going to have, like, even when I think about the connection with those other child women that are childless and how much you need each other mm -hmm. and how you're creating practices to share with women who are going through this and who need, I really believe these practices are so necessary. Like in my, in my being, as I talk about it, I get like, 
almost um, panicky about people like knowing, like you can't go through this and turn up the volume. You have to, you know, do these practices that reconnect you and work to heal, you know, your heart. And so it's, it's interesting, but even like that with your dad, like how that might connect you deeper with your mom or Mm -hmm. other people who, you know, have a death anniversary around Mm -hmm. that time. And there's lots of people who struggle with Christmas or I think we all have expectations around those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like being able to bond with other women. Like one day you might have a thing where all these five mothers that, you know, you all go to the greenhouse or you all go do this and that's your day together. Like it can totally, you know, evolve into something different and beautiful, but it's usually out of pain that brings us together. It's true. Yeah. And the feelings that I have on mother's day, you know, sort of the acute loss and I'll, I'll never be a mother and what all those things mean. I feel those on every other day also. It's not like, you know, this one day pops up and it reminds me that, oh, I'm childless. Like that's a constant backdrop in my um, everyday life. It's, but it being highlighted and like the, you know, the week leading, two weeks leading up to it, like marketing for all kinds of products that have actually like nothing to do with mothers start to like have tying this thing about being a mother and um and so it just is kind of more in in your face so it's like I feel like going like from being like being invisible most of the year to be being like shoved in my face uh in these you know sort of around that time and I avoid going out into the different places on Mother's Day, um, not because I don't want to see people having fun with their mothers. Like that is beautiful, it's glorious. But people, because I'm a woman, assume that I'm a mother, so they're like wishing me Happy Mother's Day. You know, I think when I'm like buying whatever at the groceries or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've just sort of learned to uh, just be go out in nature and, and uh not necessarily subject myself to that so interesting because like you said it's stuff we don't think about mm-hmm. and when the numbers are pretty high or rising mm-hmm. right um it's something we need to be we just definitely need to be more aware of what do you want the world to know from your story that's that we're here you know that yeah. childless women like we're we're here, it's not going away. And it has, it has implications for all of us. And that to be sensitive and to show up for your people. Yeah. You know? And for childless women to know that there is, there's a huge population of us and we're doing all kinds of great things. Yeah. Uh, invisibly. But uh, there's some, now more than ever, there's access to large groups of us um, doing all kinds of things and to, to reach out, you know, yeah. to make those connections. There's so many Facebook groups. There's so many Instagram accounts um, where that is full of, of us doing our thing and supporting each other and, um, we don't have to, just because we're mainly invisible doesn't mean that we have to sort of stay, stay in the shadows. 
It's so interesting because I don't think I'd ever heard someone say childless, not by choice till you said it. Right. And I, I, just, I think even my, in my mind now, I can't stop thinking about like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known there were groups. All right. And so it seems like stuff that doesn't need to be said needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you don't have to navigate this alone. The other thing I think is there are so many things in life where we have one part, but not the other, you know, you have this wonderful husband, this beaut. I love dogs. I'm like, we're obviously in a very dog culture out here on the <laughs> Island. Someone the other day was like, can we get a service dog for the office? I was like, bring in any dog. I don't care. Like bring them all in. I love it. But like, you know, you have these things and there are, there are people that have kids, but have a terrible husband or terrible marriage or whatever, right? Like everybody's life. I always say that's how we're all equal. And so I have two little boys. Well, I always wanted two little boys and a little girl. And I always thought because boys leave their moms when they're old and they follow along with whatever their wife is doing. And lots of times, if your daughter-in-law doesn't like you, like they're not going to see you. Like, trust me, I will be a crazy lady. I'm crazy now. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to, I'm never going to have girls in my life. And something that I started praying about and seeking out a long time ago was girls to love. And it would be like girl, like my niece, I just like pour into her like over the top, whatever. And like girls at our church that I just like, one of them is now moving out here to live at um, Quanos at the camp and work there for the next year. And I was like, I'm going to come, I'm going to eat your laundry. I'm going to bring you a care package. Like, I was like, you don't have to come to my house for Thanksgiving, but like, if you want to, like I'm here and it's, but I always knew that I have so much love. It's too bad that when you laugh, you laugh silently. People are probably like, <laughs> you're just looking at your silent laugher. Guys, she's laughing right now. You just don't know. Um, but no, so I, I truly work to pour in and seek out girls to love. Cause I feel like I have, I don't, I'm happy that we didn't have three kids in the end. I love my little family of four, but that doesn't mean I don't have love to pour into girls. And instead of sitting here being like, one day I'm going to have daughter-in-laws instead, I'm like, every girl that I meet is an opportunity for me to like, love her, encourage her, build her up, you know, and all that stuff. And I do it and it brings me so much joy. And so I think everyone can hear that lesson of, you know, finding things that creative ways that we can still love on kids, you know, for women who don't have kids or love on teens, if that's like your, your thing and stuff, right? Because the world just needs way more love. For sure. That maybe isn't even centered on kids as well. Yeah. You know? um, Could because be for some women, it can be, it can be painful to be around, around kids, uh, yeah. even though they wanted their own. Um, maybe they don't want to hang out with someone else's kids and that's okay too. You know, totally. so I think sort of widening the scope of what what is, what's quote unquote acceptable or yeah. what we think is the right place to put our love or put our creative energy to really find that thing that lights you up and that brings you joy. And whether that's gardening or being with dogs or uh, astronomy, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And to find that thing and, and move towards it. Yeah. I know a girl, actually, I think I know another girl that is childless and I've never asked her about it. She goes and sits with people in like hospice Mm -hmm. and is like a senior citizen, kind of like care aid. 
And it's just something she does. And I know at one point she put a a picture on Instagram of her like holding this 93 year old lady's hand and they'd become such good friends. And that lady, she was just being with her in her passing days. And just that, you know, like that was a way that she loves people. And that probably fills up her bucket. Like I, even seeing the picture filled up my bucket, right. Mm -hmm. To know that there's people out there who go and sit with elderly people in their dying days. Like how beautiful is that? Mm -hmm. Right. And so that there are so many creative ways that we can fill up our bucket, like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think recognizing that we need to fill our bucket is like number one. Yeah. Right. Ground zero. That is absolutely ground zero. And if you could describe your journey in one word, what would it be? Ongoing. Oh, ongoing. Yeah. Because we change. You know, the person I am today is different than the person that I was five years ago, 10 years ago, and will be the same going forward. So ongoing and using these sort of tools and practices that have served me so far to uh, become more self-accepting, more self-aware, and that that self-awareness and self-acceptance is also the ground zero for accepting, being more accepting and uh, totally of others, um, sort of human and non-human in the, in the world that we live in. Which I love. This has been such a beautiful conversation. There's so much value and I'm so excited and I'm, I'm so thankful that you came on here and shared with us. So really thank you. You're going to do such great things and you are doing such great things in the world. Um, can, how do people get in contact with you? If they would like to do this practice or, you know, learn more about this, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah. The best place to find me these days is on Instagram and that's at at embodied possibility. Just such Mm -hmm. a great, such a great handle. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's the best place these days. Embodied possibility. And do you teach any yoga classes online? I do, but I uh, teach um, an online membership program, actually. It's not, it's focused more on general populations, uh, but still the same, the way that I teach is the same uh, way that I would teach um, in terms of listening to your body and, you know, doing the shapes and making the adjustments that are right for you. And that the primary reason for practicing is, is self-awareness and a, a vehicle of self-reflection and as opposed to um, straight up exercise. What will the website be? Embodiedpossibility.com. Um, yeah. Because I could listen to you talk all day and I can just hear you being like, lay down, breathe, (laughs) melt into the floor. And I'm like, oh, like I could, if I could listen to Sarah Jane on a Sunday night, like that just sounds, I don't think you realize that people don't realize how their voice sounds, but Mm. your voice is like, I don't know, buttery or something. So I think everyone should definitely go check it, check that out wherever they are. Or can we go to that yoga studio if we're on Salt Spring? Yes, it's very small. Um, yeah, it's a capacity of eight people. That's so cool. I when I went to Hawaii, I used the Mind Body app, and I mm. walked into like someone's living room in the middle of Oahu or wherever I was, and they were all like, like imagine you're on Salt Spring, you don't know, you know everybody that comes, and I just walk in, I'm like, hi, I signed up on the app, and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, Canada. <laughs> 
I love it. Cause I love to go into a community and then do their fitness in whatever way, shape or form. And I did Ashtanga, which is like a whole thing. You don't just pop in and do Ashtanga, but I right. did it and is 90 minutes in the Hawaiian heat. And yeah, I just popped in like I was a regular and they were all so weirded out. It was like, I'd walked into someone's living room. It, well, I had, it was <laughs> so funny. But I loved it. And I love that way of, you know, going to a new place and embracing that local, that local vibe. And so that's so cool. I'm going to come to Salt Spring and one day I'm going to come to your class because that Please sounds do. to die for, to <laughs> die for. So thank you so much for chatting with me today, Sarah. I hope you have the best day. Yeah. Thanks so much for making space for me to tell my story. Absolutely. Hey, more Jody listeners. First of all, thank you for spending your time with me today and being here. I love what I am doing. I can't believe how much fun I'm having sharing these stories with you guys. So please like, subscribe, rate, review, share this podcast with one of your friends that you think really needs to hear it. And don't hesitate to send me a message and let me know what you'd like to hear more of on this podcast. Have an awesome day and choose to make the world a better place.